At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Okay, so on today's podcast, welcome back, by the way. It's been a while, a few days, hopefully. Um, on today's podcast, I have an old co-worker of mine that basically we worked together as apprentices. I was a couple of years ahead of him just because of my age, a couple of years ahead in age. And uh, his name's Daryl Bird. And at a young age, early 20s, Daryl, he was a smart cookie and he was running his own jobs. He just kind of had the knack for mechanical um, things, mechanically inclined. He got out of the trade for a bit. Now he's back in it. And he's glad he is. He wish he never left. So we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about a, an ice machine that he's had the opportunity to work on and learn on that actually has a manually controlled, um, manually controlled metering device, not a TX valve. It's manually controlled like a, uh, like a service valve with a stem that has to be set up correctly. So Daryl's going to talk about that. We're going to get into a little discussion on R22 and a couple of types of uh, refrigerants that are out there to take its place. Straight up conversions. One that I've had the opportunity of trying and one that I want to try, which includes a very, very cool app so we'll get into that discussion as well. And we're also going to talk briefly about um, issues with manufacturers and how some units come and there's issues with them straight from the factory that you kind of have to dig through and sort out. But before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to talk about a troubleshooting experience I had the other day. And I, I did make a video of it very, very short because it didn't take long to find the issue. So the facilities people took the fuses out of the machine because I guess some fuses blew and it was up to me to go there and find out why. So first thing I do when a fuse blows is I shut the disconnect off to the unit. Then I go down, I check the fuses, pull them out, check them, put new ones back in and I turn the disconnect back on, okay? Remember that the disconnect at the, at the unit is off. So this way, what I'm doing is I'm testing between both disconnects. If I get a blown fuse with the local disconnect off of the unit, I know that the issue is between the fuse panel or the breaker and the local disconnect. Okay, so I turned it on, then I checked for power, everything was good. So the problem laid beyond that. So I went up, checked from the disconnect at the unit, okay, on the, uh, on the load side, checked the ground, across all three legs, and on the third leg, I had eight ohms to ground. So 
Looking at the diagram, what does the main power serve? What is it? What does it power? Well, it powered the condenser fans, it powered the transformers, and it powered the compressors. But thinking here, so in order to pop a fuse on a compressor or a fan, how, how's it going to do that if the contactor isn't pulled in? So anyway, I went and pulled the third leg off a bunch of contactors and checked on the main again on the third leg to ground until it stopped, until I, until I didn't get that ground signal anymore. Then I started putting them back on one by one. And when I got to the one that caused the issue, I looked at that contactor a little bit more closely. It was welded in. It was welded in place. So aha, there, there is the path to the load that has the short. Remember how I was saying the, the contact was not pulled in, but it was. So I went to that compressor that that contactor was serving or powering up and right enough, one of the legs on that compressor had eight ohms or 8.7 ohms to ground. I isolated it electrically. Okay. And then I turned the unit back on and I tested everything else to get the unit back up and running. So we're going to have to quote on a new compressor. So that was a troubleshooting um, process of elimination. It works. And when you start from the beginning, from the main, like the breaker or the fuse panel, and work your way through, you're not going to miss anything. If there's something underlying in between, you're not going to miss it. It's very methodical, very step-by-step. -step. Let's get into the podcast, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. So I did have a chance to play around with the Supco TechLink app and the Redfish IDVM 550 wireless Bluetooth power clamp meter. It's a very cool meter. It's got a lot of cool features in it. It's like a non-contact voltage stick. It does watts and kilowatts and frequency. Volts, obviously, amps, resistance. The TechLink app has got a lot of cool stuff in it. It's got a lot of cool tests that you can run. One of them is checking capacitors, run capacitors under load. Okay, and it's got some educational tidbits for each test. It's got a little caption or a couple of paragraphs kind of educating you on that specific test, which I found was really, really cool. Um, one thing the techs are complaining about or not complaining or just mentioning, I should say, is the fact it doesn't do microamps for flame sensors. So not every meter out there does microamps. Some people carry around two meters. So this has a lot of cool features. All you got to do is check it out. It's 269 right now at True Tech Tools, and you do save the additional 8% with promo code KNOWITALL. So that is the Redfish IDVM 550 wireless Bluetooth power clamp meter. Okay, this will be the last time I bring it up, I promise. But if you haven't heard the podcast yet, Testo's spring promotion, it's almost over. Okay, and you get a free Weha toolkit when you purchase a 550 a 557 or a 570 digital manifold set, okay? And then you go on to Testo's website, just Google uh, Testo Spring Promo, 
it'll pop up. There'll be a page so you can enter all the information of your purchase and you will get that free $100 value WeHa Tool Kit. Okay, guys. Um, at the end of May, that promo is over. So if you're interested, now is the time. So I was playing with the uh, Navac hydraulic pipe expander today. That thing is so easy to use, it's not funny. Now the kit comes with the, uh, the hydraulic gun. It has a reamer. It has um, a pipe cutter, a tubing cutter. And it has a bunch of dies from 3 eighths to inch and eight. I have a video, I threw it up on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. One minute video. Those are the best because you get the information in and you're out. So that's a very, very cool tool. Obviously, that's at True Tech Tools as well. Um, with the 8% promo code, know it all. So check it out, guys. Now, I posted a, uh, and I think I, I mentioned it last week on the podcast, Yellow Jackets, new YJ2 vacuum pump, 5 CFM. A lot of people were saying, yeah, it looks Chinese, it looks Chinese. Now, I did find out it is a Chinese-made pump. It's not a secret. No one's trying to hide it. And reason being is um, there's a lot of manufacturers that are going that route, okay, having it manufactured offshore. And Yellow Jacket just wants to compete in that market, okay? It's still, it's still a Yellow Jacket pump. It's manufactured in China. But the price point on it is to compete with the other markets that have those low price points. But the Super Evac, I mean, the Bullet, those are still there for you guys if you want to purchase a higher grade, a more expensive pump, okay? But that is the reasoning behind it is because they do want to compete in that marketplace because there's a lot of companies competing in that marketplace and they don't want to lose out. They are a business, okay? Business is there to make money. And if they can produce a good vacuum pump at a cheaper price, that's a good thing for them. Okay. So just to clear that up. So I was running some Nylog today in my, uh, in one of my tools. I got a Weha slimline insulated screwdriver. It's got a bunch of bits. It's a really, really cool set. But anyway, um, the sliding collar to lock in the bit it was getting a little bit tight so i actually put some nylog in it i squirted it in and i twisted it and gave it a a, a tug up and down okay to get the, the nylog in there and then i wiped it clean and now it's freed up so <laughs> i went a little further I, I squeezed it in my uh side cutters and i squeezed it in my uh my channel locks and i i lubricated them and then I just wiped away the excessive nylog. It actually works really, really well to lubricate your tools. Probably something no one's ever tried before, but it does. So, so try it out, but just clean it. Okay. And um, I saw a post actually, it was funny. Refrigeration Technologies on Instagram, they're like, Vito Pro Pack should make a little pouch on their bag for nylog. Because a lot of people are saying the Nylog bottle explodes in their pouch and they got to clean it up. Well, put it in a Ziploc bag, I guess. But Refrigeration Technologies, I'm not sure who it was, um, 
from over there that that had made the comment but Vito Pro Pack should make a little bag or a, a little side pouch and I'm like yeah that'd be awesome especially if they branded the pouch Nylog that'd be cool and then everybody would see that that's where the Nylog goes pretty cool so guys cooler products like I mentioned last week I threw some uh smart seal quick shot into a unit because it was on its last legs the evap was leaking oil in the condensate water okay um smart seal external which i used about two weeks ago on a capillary line that's how i say it capillary cap line it worked like a charm okay good truck stock items to have coolerproducts.net is where you want to go to check all that stuff out and don't forget my new relationship with house call pro okay um one of the things that you can do on House Call Pro, and I mentioned tons of times before, is you can invoice the customer straight from the job site. Right in your truck from your phone. That's pretty cool. Okay, no more paper for them to sign or for you to lose or to get crumpled up. Or if you're like me, spill a coffee on it. Okay, so you can bill the customer straight from the job site. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. So there's a landing page for that, which is housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. What's going on, Daryl? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm all right. Um, how was your day today? Uh, it was pretty busy. I got a, we're going to do a bit of an oil leak on an oil return line today. Yeah. Quick fix, but... You know, pain in the ass. Well, the oil is always a pain in the ass because it makes such a mess, right? Yeah. So um, we're just going to shoot the shit about uh, some HVAC stuff. And, and for those of you that don't know, Daryl and I go back, back a ways. Um, we worked together back in the day when we were both, um, I believe I was still an apprentice back then. I can't yeah. remember, but. Um, you were. You were. Yeah, we, we were slamming in uh, city multis and and duckless splits all over Toronto <laughs> together. Yeah. Um, so maybe you should start by telling everybody, um, like like uh, classic HVAC Know It All podcast, how you kind of sunk your teeth into the trade, how you got started, like what what kind of brought you into it in the first place. Yeah, well, basically out of high school. <clears throat> I started working at a gas station, just changing oil. And then uh, the company where we both worked uh, took care of uh, my dad's building and uh, got an opportunity there. I uh, started doing duck work and this and that as a helper and then, uh, you know, moved over to the service. And then next thing you know, I was doing installs and, you know, working with you and, you know, learning, learning how it goes. And, uh, you know, uh, probably hit around my early twenties and I was like, yeah, this isn't for me, man. It's too much stress. Like it was killing me. So I quit and I got back into it probably like five or six years later and I've uh, been back at it ever since. And, uh, I wish I never left, man. <laughs> so the, um, like I've, I've talked about this several times and I actually made a podcast. One of the earlier, earlier ones when I was just kind of cutting my teeth in this podcast game when I didn't really know what I was doing, but I made a podcast called my boss used to scare me or something like that. 
and I'm not going to name his name, but you know who exactly who I'm talking about. And, and yeah. I've talked about my apprenticeship, how, how it was difficult because of, I guess, the, the way we were taught. Um, it was like hard nose, like you, you, you better, you better finish that job or you ain't going home type thing. And, um, like, you, you know where I'm coming from, right? How was that part of your stress that you <clears throat> felt was having that real, like hardcore boss always up your back? Yeah, it was a lot to do with that, but I was also dealing with personal issues at the time. And, uh, I just had a lot of responsibility for such a young age, uh, you know, running install jobs, at a like you know early 20s man 21 22 you know here's a job you know what you're doing get it done right dealing with general contractors and all that kind of stuff it's like man and you know you get no respect out of those guys when you're that young right so no no you, you gotta you gotta earn <clears throat> from those guys but like i remember like i remember working with you and you were on top of your game man like for for as young as you were and um being in the industry for such a short time like that's that's why they gave you those jobs is because you were able to to do them run them on your own but i get how being that young um and that much stress on your shoulders how it could be a deterrent because i mean when you're that young yeah you want a job and you want to earn money but you also want to be able to uh enjoy your your life a little bit too because you don't have kids yet you don't have a family yet you're not supporting anybody but yourself so I mean, there's got to be a bit of a balance and, and it's not like today, all these kids coming in at 2021, 20, um, the ethic, the work ethic that most of them have is not the same as the worth the work ethic that you had when you first came into the trade a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a lot to with, uh, how I was raised. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I had a, you know, I grew up, uh, going to a cottage all the time and, you know, stuff needed to be get, get done. So get out there and do it, you know? Yeah. So you, you had, you had the opportunity to work with tools and, and stuff like that before you got into the trade. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. And that's, that's the yeah. total opposite of me, man. I had to, I had to, use, <laughs> I had to learn how to use a wrench, like how to, how to, how to use a backing <laughs> wrench on, uh, on like on a couple of different fittings. Like you can't just use one, you got to use two. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like you got to use two. Like I had to learn all that stuff. I didn't know any of that. I was always yeah. the, I was always kind of the like book smart like kind of kind of guy, but to apply it, it took a very very long time to, to learn the tool side of it. Um, now, now I'm learning again with all these fancy gadgets that I get to play with um, that are all like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and um, you know what I mean. I'm I'm learning different. <laughs> I'm learning the, the this different technology aspect of the tools now, which which is pretty cool. Do you have any tools that are like technology based like with the wi-fi or the bluetooth or anything like that well the biggest i have the uh i do have the testo we our company bought a testo uh the airflow uh kit yep right so we've used that quite a bit and other than that like i'm still i'm still old school i'm still using my my old school yellow jacket gauges you know what i mean i haven't quite stepped up to the uh digital game yet but you know i'm getting by when when you (laughs) when you do you'll enjoy it I was very uh, yeah. I was skeptical at first too, but then when I first slapped a, a set of testos on a system, I'm like, damn, like this is this is great because I was like, I was always the guy with the uh, Type K thermocouple and the and the electrical tape around the suction line, and the suction line's wet and it won't stick, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. 
then you get oh, yeah. the, you get the clamp. It's tight on there. It doesn't budge, and you get all your readings on the one screen. I I was a I was a fan as soon as I used it. There's there's still techs out there that that claim they never will because they're kind of stuck in their ways. But I mean, I think once you have an opportunity to, um, you'll you'll really enjoy it for sure. No, I'm I'm not I'm not against it at all. I'm definitely gonna get to it, but uh, you know, money's always a factor. You know, those things aren't cheap, and uh, yeah, you know, when yeah. I get there, I'll get there. Yeah, cool. So yeah, you want you had a couple of stories, and I know that you texted me a couple of them that you wanted to kind of go over, and and I think when you tell these stories, someone's gonna learn. From it, yeah. I know. I know. I will because I learn from every story that that any tech tells me. So, right on. So, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about is this. Uh, it's a tube ice machine, and it's uh, it's at this facility we take care of, and it's uh, it's massive, man. Like it puts out, I think it's about ten tons of ice a day, and they have uh, they have two of them there. So when you say ten tons, like actual weight, right? Actual tons. weight. Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, like, no, we're not talking pounds here. Yeah. (laughs) So it's basically, I I, I believe you would call it a a flooded EVAP. So it has, like, a hand expansion valve that works off a float to uh, feed the barrel. Okay. And the water runs down the tubes, gets pumped up to the top and runs down. And there's, like, distributors up there that, you know, push the water out to the outside of the tube. And obviously the refrigerants on the other side of the tube, freezing the ice slowly as it comes down. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a really, really cool machine that I, I get to work on there. Um, so when you say hand expansion valve, what do you, what do you exactly mean by that? Uh, it's basically like a, like a service valve, man. Uh, you basically, it's, it's on a 90 degree, right. With the stem and you yep. adjust it based on how much you want to feed to get your, uh, you want the float switch to kind of be feeding and not feeding about the same amount of time uh, as it's making ice during the cycle. You know what I mean? So does someone always have to be on site, like maintaining that and adjusting it, or is no, it? No. <clears throat> once once it's dialed in, it'll okay. run fine. But you know, when I first started working at this building, it was like constant issues with these machines, man. So we got a. Uh, we, we reached out to a guy in the States and he came up and he spent about a week with us and it was basically me and him. And you know, the stuff I learned from that guy on about this machine just blew my mind. So <clears throat> it goes to show that, you know, if you want to learn, you can learn. And I, I, I asked him questions and I even taught him a couple of things. You know what I mean? I'm like, cause so, Basically, the EVAP barrel was full of oil, and he had to get start pulling oil out off the bottom of the separator. And then he's like, this thing's low on gas. And I'm like, yeah, but dude, think about the volume of oil you just pulled out of there. You know, like, you're not short gas. You just had too much oil in there. You know, it's just stuff like that. That uh, I'm actually looking at, because the text you sent me had, had a link in it. It's called a... Um... A Voigt, V V O G T. Am I saying that right? Voight? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Vote. I think we call it Vote or oh, Voigt vote. or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. they're out of um, Louisiana, Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So is that is that where the guy came up from the state? Yeah, I uh, 
I, I don't think he, like, I think he used to work for them and he kind of just went on his own and he pretty much just travels the world, uh, specializing on these machines, a lot of cruise ships and a lot of stuff in the Caribbean, uh, is what he told me. So he's got a pretty cool gig, I guess. <laughs> so what are they making the ice for? Um, the ice goes on the airplanes. It's, uh, so the place I'm working at, they make food for the airplanes. I'm not going to drop any names or anything, but. So, like, they have two of these machines there, so they're putting out, you know, they, they could possibly put out 20 tons of ice a day. Like, it, it's ridiculous. And it's, uh, I don't know if you've ever had it, like, tube ice? No. It's, like, circular-shaped with maybe, a little maybe, hole maybe in at, the middle maybe, of it. Maybe at a restaurant. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've had those. Right? You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's uh, something I'm very interested in, man. It's, it's cool stuff, like. So, so that's interesting though, because I always thought there's like a little ice machine on a plane, but so they make the ice, um, in the facility where that's they right. food for the plane. And then they just ship like a big crate of it onto the plane, like, and keep it in a cooler like, or something like that. Pretty much. They, uh, so they package it into these little containers and then those containers will go in the carts that go on the plane and, uh, you know, they take the bag out of the container and, you know, put it in your drink or whatever they use it for. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot, a lot of people on flights like to have a few drinks. So, uh, <laughs> calm the nerves. So I'm sure that that ice comes in really handy. So like what, what else is unique about this machine? Because I've, I've never seen a machine that puts out that much ice before either. Like I've worked, I've barely worked on ice machines to be honest with you, I, I have like one under my care at the moment and I see it maybe once every three or four months. Um, I actually just cleaned it about a month and a half ago. It wasn't very dirty, but I gave it a clean anyway. So like what, what is the major differences between this one here and like a little ice machine you'd see in a bar? I, I think just the scale of it, you know, like there's yeah. a, it's a six cylinder Copeland that's running this thing, man. And, um, you know, the tube barrel where the ice has actually made is like 10 feet high. And there's probably 80 tubes in it. I think I counted them one day and I got around 80. And uh, just the scale of it is like mind-blowing, man, that you can just make that much ice. And it's about 13 minutes per cycle. And it's about, you know, five to seven minutes for defrost. You set that on a timer. Well, I mean harvest, right? So, so when it goes into harvest, uh, it starts unloading one of the cylinders on the compressor and uh, takes hot gas off the top of the receiver, feeds it into the EVAP, like the, the tube bundle. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, it melts it slowly, and then the cutter starts running, and it just spits out ice like you wouldn't believe, like... I could probably fill, I don't even know how many bags I could fill on one harvest, like a, like a store-bought bag, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's crazy. So um, what was I going to ask you? So what, what refrigerant is running in this thing? They're running 22 in it. Oh, are they? Yeah. So, so what are you, you going to do when, when 22 is no longer? Are you going to convert over to something else? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Um, we are eventually <laughs> hopefully it doesn't leak out too soon but um uh 
I'm not sure what we would be putting in that. I'd probably have to reach out to my guy from the States and say, you know, what, what do we need to put in this to yeah. get it to work right? You know, the blends, they're not going to work the way that 22 res does, you know what I mean? So yeah, he talked to me about that when he was here. He said, I, you know. I've talked to a couple people <clears throat> about um, blends because they have the glide on them, how they're not good for like bundle chillers and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, like we experimented with, uh, oh my God, now I can't remember the name of it. Our RS44. That, that's that's the uh, the manufacturer name, but the Ashray name. I'm gonna have to look that up. RS what RS44 is, but that's that's made in actually um, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, by um, a company. And and do you guys who do you guys use for um, your your recovery tanks when you take them back? Um, honestly where i've been working lately it's a it's a massive facility so they have their own recovery tanks and anything that we pull out we save in case we need it for uh you know a leak in another system or something like that you know what i mean yeah so So, i i just looked this up here so rs44 um is r424a and i've used it with success it's got like a lower head pressure in that um it's it's a complete drop in you don't have to change the oil or anything um and it's made by refrigerant services inc rsi and they're they're in nova scotia and the cool the cool part about um rsi is that there are some wholesalers out there if you take a, a cocktail mixture back to them in a recovery tank they'll actually charge you for a clean out but rsi's developed their own machine or they might have more than one. I think they do. I think they've got a few of them that actually, if you take a cocktail back to them, the machine separates all the gases and then they, they uh, reuse them and they, they recycle them or reclaim, I think is the correct term. They reclaim the gases and, and bring them back to like almost virgin state. So there's, there's no charge out cause they're getting to reuse those gases um, in their, their facility. And then I guess they, they re um, package them or put them in the cylinders again. And then, they get reused. So that, that is really cool. And the other one is um, <clears throat> TDX 20, but that's, that's mainly, I don't think they're up here in Canada yet. They're, they're making a push to get up here. Have you heard of TDX 20? Maybe. Is that the one that you, uh, didn't you post something on your Facebook about that? Yeah, it's, it's um, Luon Energy is who makes it. And uh, again, it's an R22 replacement. So TDX20 is R458A. So that is a, that is a drop-in, no oil change. Um, and the cool part about TDX20 is that Blue On, they've got their own 24-7 technical support, and they have an app. If, mm-hmm. you download the, if you download the app, just look at it. It's cool because you can get information for all kinds of units um, just by having the app. Um, I've got it. I think it's just called Blue On. Yeah, it's just called Blue On, like Google yeah. Play or, or Google Play or um, uh, the App Store, I guess, for, for iPhone. And if you go into it, so I'll get, we'll, we'll get back to your story in a minute. I'm just no, on, it, it's, I'm my just story is good, but I did, I did hear about it through you and I did look at all the videos and did the research and I was like, yeah, this is cool stuff, man. <laughs> what they're doing. So, so, for instance, like I'm on the equipment search. 
and there's Aeon, Ares, AirQuest, Allied, Amana, American Standard, Arco Air, Armstrong, Bard, Brone, Bryant, Carrier, Coleman, Dakin, um, Eel, ICP, Keepright, and just kind of skipping by Lennox, McQuay. So you, you click on, you click on, let's say Lennox, and then you type in your model number. And then, so I'll just go to like a, uh, a GCS, GCS. One six four one three, so you, you pop that up. It's got the unit type says package tonnage. It's got the tonnage. It's got the total circuits. It's got that it's a DX unit like direct expansion, air cooled. It's got the sear. It's got the EER. It's got the refrigerant, obviously R twenty two. It's got the original charge in ounces. It's got the compressor type. Um. It's got all kinds of information that 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 would be awesome just to have, and then it goes into instruction. Then, if actually this one even here has the um, the manual, the product data that you can just click, the PDF pops right up. And that's on an app, and that's free. The app is free. You have to get you have to get accredited. Um, so basically, there's a bunch of questions. Um, sorry, before the questions, there's like a little uh, we call it like a uh, like a little, you go through a tutorial or whatever, where it kind of teaches you and educates you about it. And then you got to answer the questions. Um, and then there's all, of, I think there's like, man, I can't remember. I, I think there's like s almost 7,000 different models on this app with all this information. And then you can hit the standard conversion. Um, and it gives you step-by-step -step instructions on, on what to do to convert. Um, to DDX TDX twenty, which is which is phenomenal. The the amount of yeah. time and effort that takes to put this together, that would have taken years. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, even if even if you don't have the refrigerant yet, the app itself is just good to have. I agree, man. <laughs> you know how many times I'm searching stuff up online trying and it's like I don't know what those sites are where they may they want you to like to get a manual. You gotta push this button, and you know what I mean. Some of those sites, those those yeah, uh, and, and those manual sites. Oh yeah, like uh, manual <laughs> manuals lib or whatever. And yeah, it's just not... a pain in the ass to scroll through. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So this one here, you <clears throat> just go to the the manufacturer, you put the model number in, and and see see what they got for you. It's pr pretty pretty cool stuff. So yeah, cool. so you were saying you were talking about uh, converting to with the guy in the states, and he was mentioning. About the the uh, like the mixtures, the zeotropic blends, right? That's right. Yeah. So I I don't remember exactly what he said we would have to use. I'd have to reach out to him for that. But uh, you know, like he's a good he's a good guy, man. He'll answer the phone anytime, even if he's in Bahamas or wherever the hell he is. He'll call you back. He'll re reply to your emails. But um, yeah, I've just I've I've never seen these machines anywhere else. So I just thought I'd bring them up, and you know. Let people know that there's crazy stuff out there. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to ask you about that manual valve again. So, I mean, <clears throat> so obviously it's not trying to maintain any kind of superheat because it has no idea what the superheat is. So, like, no, how, okay. yeah. how, how, do you, how do you set it up? So, basically, the barrel's like 10 feet high, right? And off the side of it, at the bottom, is where the, uh, where the refrigerants, you know, 
basically where the liquid goes into the bottom and it keeps a steady volume of liquid on the bottom of this barrel and the suction pulls off the top of it. Okay. So as that refrigerant's boiling off in the bottom of the barrel, the level's getting lower and uh, the float will enable a solenoid valve that feeds through the hand expansion valve. So it's basically a service valve, man. <clears throat> like you could open it up full out but that float is going to make really quick. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So you kind of got to balance it so that your feet, like <laughs> I'm there with a stopwatch when I was setting this thing up, timing how long the float had the solenoid open and how long the solenoid was closed. And they say you want it to be about the same amount of time. So that's, <clears throat> that's just how they, they've designed it. I don't know. Right. So I just, it's cool that, you just got this refrigerant sitting in the bottom of this huge cylinder and you're pulling off the top of it and making ice at the same time. You know what I mean? So, so if, it's, if it's not set up right, um, you can, you can flood back to the compressor, right? Or, or is that to No, you'll never flood back the no? compressor, man. Cause the float will, will it keeps it. Keep, it's call it like maybe two feet at the bottom of the barrel on a 10 foot barrel. Yeah. So those two feet, you're never going to overfeed and bring liquid back to the, the compressor unless, you know, I've had issues where the, the barrel's frozen up and then all the liquid migrated to where the ice is. And I've had issues like that before, but yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, that's pretty much what it does. It, it just keeps a steady volume of liquid on the bottom and pulls off the top. And uh, the harvest cycle, that gets kicked in based off of pressure. So obviously the more ice we build up in the, uh, <clears throat> in the tubes, we're getting less heat into the refrigerant. And, uh, you know, pressure is coming down slowly. And it takes about 13 minutes to hit that pressure switch. And then it's on a timed harvest, drops the ice. Yeah. And then goes back, man. So... Hold on, I'm I'm on the the site. There's uh, as how your how your tube ice machine works. So there's all <laughs> principle of operation: freeze period, harvest period, piping nomenclature. So principle of operation. I'd like to I'd like to see that. So that is page four four dash one. Scroll to it and see what it has to say. It's it's actually got um, you know what? I should go back just in case somebody wants to look at it themselves. So I guess if you go to vogticee.com, then when you click on that, it brings up, it brings up a, uh, a service manual. And it says, <laughs> it's funny because it says service manual, then $50. So they're selling this, but there's a... Uh, I think they did back in the day. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> But it's, yeah, so if you go to that website, you're just going to get um, basically the main site, and then it shows all their different models they make and this and that. But what I sent you was the actual manual, just so oh, you can kind of okay. Okay, so. skim through it or whatever, right? Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cool cutout, um, like like cut cut drawings and all that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, so it's a really cool machine. So I'm on the, the principle of operation. It says, for a detailed description of the functions of each control panel components, uh, it's just, 
I don't know. This is this is way too much to read right now. Yeah, it's too much. Podcast. Trust me, I know. I've read it all. <laughs> yeah. I thought there'd be like a little paragraph <clears throat> stating stating how it how it works. I've kind of dumbed it down a bit just so that everyone uh, that's listening can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Not that your audience is dumb. Your audience is probably brilliant, man. And I've learned a lot from your your Facebook posts, man. Oh, I've I've and learned the people in that group. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, so, so much from people, and that's what bugs me about the uh, the the old heads that say, "Oh, yeah, you shouldn't go on Facebook to try to learn HVAC." Well, what if the the information is valid? Like, why not learn that information? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's not a big deal. So on on here it says refrigerant charge included with the machine is the required charge approximately five hundred pounds. Is that how much gas is in that thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's oh kind of, yeah, it's it's big, man. I'm telling you. So five hundred R twenty two. That's that's a pretty penny if you lose that. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Definitely is. That's crazy, man. So that's, any any other weird <clears throat> fancy things about this machine that that kind of differs or is out of the norm? Not not that I can just the way it works, man. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've I've never like I I learned about the uh, hand valves in uh, in school, like the um, the uh, the hand uh, metering device or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I've I've never actually seen one in the field, or got to play around with one. It's nothing special. It's just a it's a service valve, man. That's all yeah. it is. But the special part of it is just setting it up and, and knowing how it runs, utilizing it right. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing where to set it and how to set it. <clears throat> cool. So you had a, you had another story, but I don't know if you're going to tell her or not because it involved, <laughs> it involved a, uh, the, uh, facility manager. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I'll leave that one alone, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did want, yeah, that's, uh, that's still ongoing. So maybe oh, we can okay. talk about that another time. Uh, all right. <laughs> Off air. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to talk about uh, some equipment I recently installed that just came like completely wrong from the manufacturer. And, you know, I'm like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And the wasted time trying to figure out what they did wrong at the factory and, you know, finally figuring it out. And then, you know, now we're going to have to deal with all the warranty stuff and this and that, right? Yeah. It's just like, like I've never seen anything so bad in my life. It's just like a standard, it's a 12 ton compressor unit with the remote condenser and an EVAP, right? Mm -hmm. And the compressor unit itself was just wired completely wrong. To the from, fact where, like, from, what, what, from the factory, what, right? From the factory, yeah. So, okay. The head pressures can head pressure controls were wired backwards. So the units came and you know, the, the tab on the top of a head pressure control, you know, it's tripped. You push it down to reset yep. it. Yep. Yeah. So they came tripped, right? So I installed two of these things and one of them, I had reset it and it wouldn't come on. It wouldn't come on. So I'm ch chasing my tail here, trying to find out why isn't this thing why won't this contactor pull in to bring on the compressor? Yeah. So it ended up being that. So I got my screwdriver and pried it up and made it trip. And yeah, of course it came on. 
So I had to fix that. Like, I, I just don't understand how this stuff happens from a factory and they don't test run their equipment before they send it out. Like, I think I, I think I know how it happens because everything is mass produced because everybody there's, there's so many contractors out there that want these machines and they want them now and they want them yesterday and they're mass produced and there's no time to, to implement any kind of quality control because if they take the time to test them, um, that means the customer's waiting longer and then that means their customer's waiting longer. So they're trying to, they're trying to force them out the door to make the customer happy. But in the long run, I mean, I shouldn't say it happens all the time, but it, it happens a lot because I've, when you're done your story, I, I have a story too from the manufacturer that, that took like two or three days of being on site to fix their problems. Yeah. I have more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the other, the other unit, like, so basically they got a terminal strip in, in, in the compressor unit. And when I first turned this thing on, dude, it, it was crazy. It was like a light show in the electrical cabinet. The contactor would pull in, snap out, like, like, like that, man. Yeah. So I'm like, what the hell is this? So I turned it off. I disconnect the compressor. By now, the contacts on the contactor are shot already. And um, <clears throat> so here I am. Tracing wires again, man. Where does this wire go? This the diagram says this should go here and this and that. Everything was labeled right, like uh, with their wire markers. Yeah, but they had the wrong marker on the wrong wire, and that wire was in the wrong spot. So basically, the crankcase heater on the auxiliary should obviously, when the contactor's pulled out, it's going to energize the crankcase heater, right? Okay. But what they had, they mixed a wire up, and this one goes to the motor protector on the compressor. Mm -hmm. And that was going through the auxiliary. So when it would pull in, it would break the control circuit. Then it would pull, then it would, you know what I'm saying? And then it would break. And then as soon as it pulled out, it would make. And it was just doing that. Where was, um, where did they come from? Like which, like which country, which state, which province, like, you know where? I heard they came from Montreal. When, again, what, I, when did I they... don't want to throw I don't want to throw names, right? <laughs> was this recently? Yeah, this is like within the last month. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Montreal Montreal is a very laid back um, city, and now that uh, cannabis is legal, and, and <laughs> they're, maybe they're outside having having a toke at lunch, man, and just rewired the thing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? So yeah, that was that, and then like same manufacturer. I did one last year, and this is like, this, pro this could be my fault. I don't know. Basically, it was 407C compressor units. Same story. Remote condenser, EVAP coil. And they started up, like, this guy wants them running. He wants to bring in cooler air for his makeup air and this and that. And when they started running about a week ago, they were starting to freeze up. And then one day I was up there working on the one trying to figure out the wiring. And I heard, Brrr. I was like, what the hell? So obviously the scrolls are taking liquid. So I shut that down. I look into it further. It turns out we had a 410 TX valves in the EVAP. 
Damn. Yeah. So, you know, there I am again, back to the manufacturer. What the hell is this all about? Change out the TX valves. Like, not fun, man. I just, I've just, that's been my last like month and a half. It's been hell. So are they, are they, um, <clears throat> kicking in some funds to like pay you for the work? So, so what they've said is they're, you know, keep track of all your parts and all your labor and, uh, yeah, go from there. But did, know, they send, that... did they send a rep out to, to verify that all this was like wrong or they just, no, no, they took our word. Well, that's, that's cool. Uh, pretty much where it's at right now yeah so i've got it i've changed the tx valve everything's running good now i've rewired the thing everything's running fine now but it's just been like man uh it's been a struggle <laughs> and i'm like i'm proud of myself really i guess that i could figure this stuff out you know yeah well that, no it's it's cool that you that you have the knowledge that <clears throat> now you can go through and figure all this this stuff out um that that's the same after you've been in the trade for a long time i mean things just come kind of natural to you but it's just a pain in the ass that you have to go through it all from scratch and figure out what someone else has done yeah like you wouldn't think i would have to check and like just to get at these tx valves you're, you're pulling off i had to cut every pipe that went into this evap like and it's two stage so Two liquid lines, two hot gas bypass lines, two suction lines, just to be able to get the panel off to get at the TX valves. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it was a lot of work. So, I had kind of a similar thing. We, it, it was a building, they were bringing in lake water. It was, a, it was one of those lead buildings, um, L E E D. And I don't know if this is, this is something that they have in the u.s too but um i actually forget exactly what leed stands for i'm, I'm just going to look it up quickly leaders yeah, I mean, super, leaders super in, clean construction yeah. yeah yeah leaders in energy and environmental design leed um so anyway they, they brought in a bunch of these units and they sat them down and i opened them up and went through the process to, to start them up and they were water cooled and they did not have, um, they had a, a freeze protection module, but they didn't have anything run to um, the water line inside the unit. So it wouldn't even know if it was off in freeze protection. Um, so that had to be corrected. Um, next thing, we went to test the, uh, the, the flow switches because they had they have flow switches um, in the piping to prove flow before the compressor would start. So basically shut the pumps off, right? And then made it call for cooling. The compressor would run. We're like, what the hell? Like the pump's not even running. So they put the flow switches in, but the paddle was too long. So basically when they, they put the paddle in, um, they had crunched it down. They had crunched the paddle down and it got stuck in a way that it was in the closed position all the time. So... That's <laughs> that was just one of that was just two things that I found on that job. But I was there for a good two or three days correcting the stuff, and we had probably two or three different conference calls with the manufacturer uh, during this time. And I find there's more problems, mostly on newer equipment, 
than there is on older equipment because you got to work out the bugs and the the site specific issues and all that 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 i find that all the time so i'm not really sure if i'm right about the manufacturers kind of pushing machines out the door before they have a chance to test them because the demand is so high to get these machines and these systems out to their customers but I don't see any other way it could be possible. Like, for instance, I was in a building doing some work. I was in the uh, the shop of that building, and they had pulled this stainless steel pump. Okay, this thing was like they they, they pulled it out of a, a process machine in a pharmaceutical plant. This thing was like twenty five thousand dollars. You should have seen it. It was tiny, like uh, the size of a a cookie jar, like a small cookie jar. Twenty two thousand dollars. And there was a sensor in there that if, if the lid popped open, basically the sensor would allow the, the, um, the monitoring system to know if there was an issue. So they drilled a, a well to put this sensor in, but the drilled well was, wasn't deep enough. And they had figured this out after playing with it. And then I heard the conversation um, with the manufacturer because there was a bunch of them gathered around and it was on speakerphone. And this thing was 25 grand. And the guy on the phone was saying, yeah, it's supposed to be checked and tested before it leaves. But obviously it wasn't. So imagine paying that much for something that size and it's faulty on arrival. I mean, that's crazy. So I don't know what else it can be. But the quality control, they, they got to be rushing these things out the door. Maybe they're taking a few aside here and there and checking those ones. I don't know. I don't know the process, but if anybody knows the process of quality control with a manufacturer, you can shoot me a message because I'd like to be educated on it and how we kind of miss some of this stuff, miswired units, um, units that have no gas in them when they arrive, just stuff like that. Anyway, guys, I'm out. Happy HVACing.